All right, we're in our summer series. It's entitled Stand and Fight. And uh, this is part three, and it's based upon Paul's instructions in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 20. Paul informs us that we are engaged in a spiritual battle with invisible forces. And he reminds us that we are not fighting a human enemy. We don't struggle against flesh and blood, he said, but against Satan's evil spirits. He begins with this critical instruction, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because we're incapable in and of ourselves to equip ourselves to stand successfully against that invisible enemy. He was very real, by the way. And so Paul, uh, we, we emphasize the importance of realizing that in Christ, we are winners. And even though it may seem sometimes that you are not winning, uh, the scripture says, yes, you are. And uh, in fact, the only way you can lose the battle is to refuse to fight. And so we need to stand, as, as Paul says over and over in this passage, and fight. And when we do, we win. Well, before we proceed any further, let's uh, read our text. You did pretty good last week uh, reading it out loud. Um, Let me just say, however, that second service did better than you guys did. They were louder. So let's, let's try to make sure that that doesn't happen again this week. All right. Let's let's read it together. And... um, and just read it out loud. Um, I think you can see it. All right, let's go. Finally, be strong. Full armor. Well, you did really well. Thank you. And uh, I don't know if the second service can top that. Very, very good. That's God's word. Last week, uh, I pointed out that Jesus put his finger on the problem we all face when he said that the devil is a liar and a murderer. And his aim, of course, is to destroy and to wreck, to distort and to pervert our lives. And he does that through his lying deceptions. But the good news of the gospel is that this doesn't have to be the case for any of us, actually. And so Paul describes our adequate defense against the devil's schemes. 
And so he urges us and he encourages us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. But the question usually arises, how do we do this? How then exactly do you become strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? Well, he goes on to answer that. He says, put on the full armor of God. You know, every Christian has been drafted to fight a spiritual war. John F. Kennedy uh, was the 35th president of the United States. Um, And one thing about history, it goes back a while. But another thing that happens when you're kind of old as I am, you go back as well. And so uh, for some of you guys who read in the history books, I I live through some of um, President Kennedy's uh, administration. And back then, I was a barely a teenager, um, he was one of my heroes uh, because of, um, he was a war hero. And uh, he was a commissioned naval officer during World War II, uh, commander of a, a patrol torpedo boat called, uh, with the name, uh, or designation PT-109. And there was a movie made uh, actually about uh, his, his um, uh, time as a commander. But uh, his boat was rammed and sunk by a uh, Japanese destroyer. And he and a fellow officer swam from island to island, um, enemy-infested islands, until eventually they found uh, some friendlies who put them in touch with the U.S. forces. And uh, so he was later rescued. But then years later, uh, being regarded as a war hero, he responded, it was involuntary. They sunk my boat. (laughs) And so that's kind of like it is with us as believers. We find ourselves in the middle of a war because we're Christians and the war has come to us. Okay? And so we are engaged in this battle. And we are not encouraged to put on the full armor of God. We are commanded to do so. Paul doesn't suggest. He says, put on. The full armor of God. And so these verses in in our text are our marching orders as a believer. And we dare not ignore them. And nor do we fail to fully follow uh, his commands. Our protection against Satan and his attacks is assured only if and when we put on the full armor of God. The devil's schemes are numerous, not just scheme, schemes. And so he attacks us at any point in our life that he deems vulnerable. Therefore, the armor must be complete. We can't just pick and choose our armor either. Uh, We're not allowed to manufacture and design our own. You know, it must be the armor of God, he said. And so we put it on and we put all of it on. And so completely armored or will vulnerable to his attacks. Now I believe the fact that, that Paul uses the term full armor of God implies that the armor that he lists here in Ephesians is the complete armor. It's the whole armor of God and everything that we need. Uh, because would Paul insist that we put on the full armor? And then not tell us what the full armor is? I don't believe so. And so in this text, 
Uh, I believe we have everything we need. We don't need any additional armor uh, than what we find here. And if anyone suggests any so-called armor in addition to God's armor, it's not necessary. God's armor is fully sufficient. And so as we consider the nature of our warfare, uh, and note that it's not our duty to attack Satan or to defeat Satan. Rather, we are simply to withstand his attacks. Now, this is kind of tough for some of us. But our task is defensive, not offensive. It's not we who will defeat Satan, but Christ. Our duty is to resist Satan, not to remove him. We're to stand because God is the one who wins the battle. So just stand firmly in that. Now, it's repeatedly affirmed in Scripture to be true that that God is the one who wins the battles. It's true, we have to fight, but the Lord is the one who wins the battle. And so David's victory over Goliath... And his words as he approached him made it clear to us that the battle and the victory was the Lord's. And so David said, uh, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Now David had to stand and fight, but he says the victory is the Lord's. Jesus speaks about Satan's defeat a number of times in the Gospels. And in every instance, uh, his defeat is viewed as accomplished at the cross of Calvary. And so our salvation and Satan's defeat has already been accomplished by Christ. When he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, when he triumphed over his enemies, primarily over Satan himself. And so while there are times that Satan's attacks may not always appear uh, to be uh, overcome, sometimes it seems like he's overcoming us, and it may not be evident that we're winning at that particular moment, uh, yet God has already ultimately secured our victory through Christ. Isn't that awesome? Our victory is sure. So by the way, so so the way to be strong in the Lord then is to put on the full armor of God. And so the armor is listed here. There's the belt, uh, there's the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. But these are all figurative language, uh, symbols of something that is real. Now keep in mind the context of our text here in Ephesians. Paul was imprisoned in Rome for two years. It was during that two-year time, he was somewhat under house arrest. But there were soldiers that he was, uh, that were stationed with him 24 hours a day. During that time, he wrote Ephesians. He wrote uh, Philippians and Colossians and, and the book of Philemon. He also got to preach uh, as well. I wonder how many soldiers uh, that were a captive audience to him uh, may have come to Christ as a result of his preaching. But living for two years with soldiers of the Roman army 
must have left an impression on Paul. And so he saw the soldier's armor enough that he understood what the function of each piece was. He was very well acquainted with it, what purpose it served, and why it was important. And so obviously as he's watching all of this, there's this God-inspired analogy that begins to, to form in his mind. And as the pieces of the Roman army, uh, our army uh, soldiers' uh, armor was put on, fell into place, he could see that each piece had a powerful correlation to our own spiritual defenses. Now it's obvious that we don't walk around today uh, physically decked out in ancient Roman soldiers' um, armor. But this armor is symbolic, and, and it's a symbolic description of Christ and what he is prepared to be and to do in each of us. And so Paul is speaking of Christ and, and how we can lay hold of Christ as our defense against the devil's schemes. It's how we appropriate Christ for ourselves. And in Romans thirteen fourteen, Paul clearly proclaims this concept when he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So his command is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then to Timothy, he says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So that's where our strength and our armor lie. Christ is our defense. And so when we study this armor, then uh, we know how to lay hold of Christ in a practical way. You know, it's, it's real easy for us to say, uh, when people are going through some very difficult times, uh, we can just say, Jesus is the answer. And he is. You know, I had someone come up to me after the service last Sunday. And a uh, big grin on his face. And uh, he said, um, Pastor, I just want to let you know my, my one takeaway from your message today is that Jesus is not the answer. And of course, he was misquoting uh, and taking kind of out of context a uh, statement that I had made uh, that if you're looking for an, an escape from all your problems, uh, Jesus is not for you. And uh, he said, well, I found out Jesus is not the answer. But let me just reiterate, if you think coming to Christ, you never have any more problems, and then Jesus is not, that Jesus is not the one for you. But yes, uh, Christ is the answer. And so we say to, to somebody, yeah, Jesus is the answer. Christ is the answer for you. But how is he the answer? How is Christ the answer in that situation? That's what we need to know. And that's what this armor describes. And so Jesus is the answer as a specific defense against specific things. And so the pieces of armor that God's provided uh, correspond precisely to Satan's schemes and methods of waging war against us. And so as we consider these various pieces of armor that God's provided, it, it informs us of the ways that Satan will seek our downfall to destroy us. So let's look at these, actually the first three pieces of armor. And it is important, by the way, uh, the order in which uh, Paul presents these in our text. But first he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is the place you start 
when you're under attack. You say, well, how do I know when Satan's attacking me? How do I know if I'm under attack of the enemy? Well, if you find yourself discouraged or defeated or confused or uncertain about things, uh, if you find yourself depressed, and I understand that sometimes there are physical things that can lead to depression. If you find yourself indifferent about anything, even the things of God, then that's evidence that the enemy is attacking you. And this is where you start. You buckle the belt of truth around your waist. Now, soldiers in the Roman army uh, wore short skirts. They weren't sissies, I can guarantee you that. But that's just the way, kind of like Scottish kilts. And uh, you, you know, I, the only way you'd find me in one of those is if I'm dead. Uh, I'm not going to wear that either. Uh, but but they, they wore those, similar to that. But over them, at times they would wear longer robes or tunics, particularly in cold weather. And so it would be held in place with this belt. And, and furthermore, this belt would hold other pieces of armor in place so that it wouldn't, you know, the, the breastplate wouldn't flop around and, and, and so on. Um, but then in, when they got ready to go into battle, the, the soldier would tuck that long robe up under the belt to get it out of the way so that his, his legs would be unimpeded and he would be ready then for the fight. And so putting that belt on and tucking that robe up under uh, is a symbol of readiness to fight. It's one of the first things you do. You buckle on the belt of truth. So how do you get ready to fight when the devil threatens you with discouragement? You remind yourself of the truth. You put on the belt of truth. You recall that in Jesus Christ, you found the truth. Is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life? Is he the truth? I believe he is. I believe he's the key to life. I believe he is the truth, and he is reality. Paul says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Jesus is the truth. The clearest insights into what life is all about, uh, even his enemies had to admit, uh, is found in Jesus Christ. And so when the temple guards were sent to arrest Jesus, they returned empty-handed and the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees asked him, why didn't you bring him in? Well, no one ever spoke the way this man does, they declared. So Jesus is the truth. We found that to be true. And I'm not going to go into all the different aspects of that, but when you're discouraged, buckle the belt of truth around your waist. And that's the truth of God's word. And so if you're discouraged, then, then say, all right, if God is for us, who can be against us? All right? And if you feel defeated... Then and buckle around your waist the truth of God's word that says we're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. And so when the devil assaults you, put on the belt of truth found in God's word and remind yourself of what he says. Doing that will ensure that you're ready to enter into battle and you're not going to be tripped up over your feelings. All right, take those feelings of discouragement, those feelings of defeat, tuck them under that belt of truth and get ready to move freely in battle 
and overcome the enemy. The truth of God's word sets us free. Amen. And then he says, stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This piece of armor must be constantly in place. And, and this is one of the heaviest pieces of the soldier's armor. Um, it's amazing the training regimen those soldiers went through. Um, they would, their, their armor itself, um, sometimes close to 70 pounds. And they would be required to carry stuff to dig trenches and to build fortifications. And they would run all day in their train. They would run all day with all that stuff on. Uh, the, the Roman legionnaires were, uh, they were legendary. Uh, and so these guys uh, learned how to carry these, the, even the heaviest pieces of armor. And the breastplate, breastplate uh, for the Roman soldiers, for most of it, was scaled armor, not just a, a solid piece. And so since it was scaled, kind of like fish scales, it, it would move as he moved. And so uh, the weight would be distributed pretty much all over. The belt would help to hold it uh, in place so it wouldn't um, put all the weight uh, on parts of his body. And so he grew accustomed to wearing it since that weight was evenly distributed. It's amazing how the body does that. I, I think I've told you before uh, when I was doing my through hike on the Appalachian Trail, uh, my backpack always weighed too much. Uh, I had too much stuff in it, mostly food, um, but around 40 pounds. And so the first you know, several hundred miles, or, it, it was difficult, you know, climbing, you know, I, I, I was blowing and sweating and, and all that kind of stuff. But then I found myself amazingly, um, you know, several weeks later, able to jump across a creek with my backpack on, just like I had before w- without it. And so your body adapts. And so, and so these soldiers, after a while, they, they put this armor on, and they wear it pretty much all the time, and they become accustomed to it. And so Paul says here, constantly have on the breastplate of righteousness. Keep that belt on. And by the way, the first three pieces of armor are things that you receive automatically as a believer, and they're with you all the time. It's, it's the, the shield of faith that you take up. You put on the helmet of, of salvation and uh, those, those other um, uh, pieces of armor. But the first three, you know, they're, they're, they're there all the time. That's basic stuff. And so the breastplate of righteousness says keep it constantly in place. Get accustomed to wearing it all the time. Because one of the grounds of Satan's attacks against a believer will come when you're not expecting it. And it comes to attack you in your heart. You see, the, the, the critical part of the breastplate is it covers vital organs. And so you dare not uh, go without that. But that. You can be as strong a soldier in the world, but it just takes one arrow in, the, in one of the vital organs and you're done. And so it's, a, it's critical. And so isn't it true that most Christians, for one reason or another, at times feel a lack of assurance in their standing with God. They feel unworthy of God. Sometimes they feel they're a failure in the Christian life and that God is certain to reject them. 
that he probably is not even interested in any longer because they failed so many times. And so they're fully aware of all their failures and inadequacies. And they feel at times that their rate of spiritual growth is such a slow pace. And um, they don't have any longer the full measure of, of joy that they once had. And they feel perhaps that God's angry with them, that he's distant, he's, he's way off. And so oftentimes there's this constant sense of guilt that the believer has. Their conscience is always screaming at them. And so they're, they're unhappy and they're miserable. Now let me ask you, do you think this is the way God wants you to exist as a Christian? Did God send his son Jesus to die on the cross to redeem you from your sin so you can go around miserable and feeling defeated all the time? Absolutely not. That is simply an attack of the enemy. He's out to destroy what God wants you to have as a believer. So how do you respond to such an attack? Well, just remember that you have on the breastplate of righteousness. You don't have to put it on when you became a Christian, a believer, follower of Christ. It was there. It's part of your armor. Remember that you have on the breastplate of righteousness. You say, but I don't feel righteous. Well, that's the point. Remember, you're not standing on your own merits. You'll never be good enough. In fact, you never did stand on your merits. Uh, you had nothing whatsoever worthwhile to offer to God when you came to him. Nothing of value. You gave all that up when you came to Christ and you quit trying to be good enough to please God, because you can't. But you came instead on his merits. And you came on the basis of his, what the scripture calls, imputed righteousness. That is, his righteousness that he puts to your account. And so, you began your Christian walk like that. The only way you can become a believer in Christ and become a child of God is to realize, I have nothing in myself to bring. I'm never good enough. But I come only on the basis of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross of Calvary. And that, that alone redeems me and saves me and gives me my standing with God. And so you started that way. Don't change now. Remind yourself. Remember, I have on this breastplate of righteousness. And that's why Paul in Romans 8 declares, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a good word? No condemnation. You believe a lie when you think that God is angry with you and rejects you. It is a lie of Satan, the father of lies. So remember, you stand on Christ's merits. And God accepts you on the basis of what Christ has done for you. Now listen, it does not mean that you can do anything you want to after you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that you can do things that you know are wrong and that God's going to say, well, that's okay, don't worry so much about that. No, that's not God. God can't. God is a just God. He can't overlook that. So I'm not talking about willful sin. That's a whole different story. And the fact is, uh, God will deal with you as a father. He loves you, but he'll give you good whipping as well, discipline. But I believe 
in this aspect, Paul particularly understood the need for this breastplate of righteousness in his own personal life. If anyone had pressures that could induce discouragement and defeat, it was Paul. Now, I know it's hard to imagine that the great apostle Paul uh, struggled with things that might discourage him. But there were some constant struggles that he personally had to overcome. And one of those, he was small of stature. Yeah, that's discouraging. And unimpressive in his personal appearance. Yeah, that's distressing. There's possible evidence that Paul probably was um, pretty repulsive to look at. Uh, possibly because of a disfiguring physical ailment. Not sure where it would have come from. After all, he'd been stoned and left for dead. Who knows what kind of disfiguring um, things could have resulted from that. He wasn't much to look at. And so that would be tough for a man who had this passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had never heard it before. So can you imagine getting up in front of people and them going, oh, I can't stand to look at that guy. He's, he's awful. Well, that would be discouraging. And so he had, to, he had to overcome that freaky appearance or whatever it was like. But then furthermore, the background, his background was something he could never get away from completely. He had been the most hostile, fanatic persecutor of the early church that it ever had. And so can you imagine, as a result, years later even, that Paul would perhaps be in Jerusalem or different places, and someone in that congregation that he may have been speaking to would have a relative, a loved one, that he had killed years ago when they were following Christ. Can you imagine how hard that would be? And so he had all of that, his past, that he could not get away from. And then additionally, there were people who didn't like Paul for one reason or another, and they would remind him often, you're not one of the original 12 apostles, and so you're really not an apostle at all. And so we find Paul saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So if anyone had reasons for discouragement, Paul did. He wasn't much to look at. He had this background where he terrorized the church before God encountered him and transformed his life. And he was not an original apostle. So he could very easily have felt like giving up. He could say something like, well, what's the use? And I'm making all these sacrifices, and Paul did. He was bivocational in some places, and he made tents to support himself and to support the work that he did. So he says, I'm working like a dog, and people don't care. They constantly insult me, and so why try anymore? And that would have been natural for Paul to say, but that's not his response. And so the next verse, Paul says, but... By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. So Paul is using this breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, he's got all these reasons to feel discouraged, all this stuff's against him. But he said, I don't care what I've been. 
I simply say that by God's grace, I am what I am today. I'm not standing on my righteousness. I'm standing on Christ's righteousness. And so he says, I'm accepted by grace. My personal situation, my circumstances don't make any difference at all. I am what I am because of Christ. And so he was able to encounter discouragement by saying, sure, what they say about me is true. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm Christ's man. Christ is in me. I am in Christ. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when you find yourself struggling with discouragement for whatever reason it might be, or if there's doubt regarding your salvation, simply remember and realize you have on the breastplate of righteousness, which never has been about what you are doing and how good you are. It's always been about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And overcome that enemy, that lie of Satan, with the breastplate of righteousness. You don't look to yourself for anything. Look to God for everything. Amen. And finally, stand firm then, he said, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Roman soldiers had a special sandal for battle. Now, as you can imagine, shoes are absolutely essential to fighting. So can you imagine a soldier uh, decked out in full armor, maybe 70 pounds of stuff on, and he's ready to fight, but he's barefoot. Can you imagine what that would be like? Now, I can't even walk barefoot across the floor almost without my feet hurting. Years, a few years back, a couple of ladies... Sisters actually attempted to through hike the Appalachian Trail um, barefoot, and uh, their trail name appropriately was the Barefoot Sisters. Um, they realized, however, that while there was some sections of the trail that they could uh, navigate uh, barefoot, uh, barefootedly, um, obviously they pretty quickly put some shoes on and, and finished that. Can you imagine how quickly a Roman soldier's foot? would be cut and bruised, the rough ground. And furthermore, uh, one of the, of the defensive weapons used in warfare back then were sticks that had been sharpened to points and then buried upright in the ground was just the points right above the surface of the ground, almost invisible. So it would only take one step on those ancient landmines to render a soldier almost incapable of fighting if he were barefoot. And so despite the fact he had all that equipment that he needed otherwise, if he didn't have shoes on, he could quickly be put out of combat. And so this heavy-soled sandal, he put that on, he was ready to fight. He was equipped, able to stand. His sandals uh, also sometimes had um, spikes or hobnails on the bottom, sometimes driven through uh, the inside of the sandal, uh, kind of similar to a golf shoe. And so he would have solid footing and could move quickly. And that's one of the reasons for success of the, the Roman army uh, back then. And so Paul is saying to us, stand firm, our feet fitted with the readiness produced by the good news of peace. So what does this mean? Well, again, it's Christ. 
The breastplate is Christ our righteousness. The shoes are Christ our peace. It's peace. A sense of calm. A sense of well-being. So rather than falling to pieces when you're under the attack of the devil, and rather than cowering in fear, instead of complaining and whining and griping, then he says, put on the shoes. This deep sense of peace and calm that can settle over you when Christ is in your heart and in your life. There's a calmness. There's a courage. It's kind of like the morale is high when Jesus Christ is in your heart and life and you have peace with him. When you have your shoes on, the peace of God, there's no ground too rough for Christ. And we have Christ in us. So Paul says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you're at peace with God, you have the peace of God in your heart. And when his peace is absent uh, from your life, the going's going to be rough. Anxiety rightly engenders an uneasiness inside that leaves you limping through life as if you've been walking on broken glass. Wear the shoes that God makes available. Get right with him. And then let him produce that deep, settled peace that only comes from him. When that peace is there, that calm is there, it doesn't really matter what comes your way. You have Christ in you, and you can remain calm and peaceful and trust him. And so this battle, Paul says, is not against people at all, but against the invisible wicked forces of Satan. And he assures us that in Christ... We can and we do triumph. So in Christ, you are victorious today. We stand firm. We resist and we overcome Satan's assaults against us. And even though this inner conflict is sometimes a battle in the realm of the thought life, our mind, we'll put the helmet on later on, or a conflict in the realm of our attitudes, Monday can be a bad attitude day, or a struggle with the outlook over certain situations in which we find ourselves, we have the victory through Christ in spite of those attacks of the enemy. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How? By putting on the armor of God that he's provided, which is adequate to win the battle every time. Amen. Let's stand together today, would you please? We've considered the first three today, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness and shoes that make us ready with the peace that Christ gives. Wear these pieces of armor every day and the battle is almost won right there. You almost don't need anything else but we do have some other weaponry because God doesn't want us just to be an overcomer. He wants us to be more than overcomers and more than conquerors. And so he gives us all that we need. Uh, little difficulty in overcoming the enemy when we start with the armor of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for every person that is here today who knows you in a personal way. So glad, God, that while we realize that the fight is engaged, we are in a battle. We realize that so well. Yet, God, 
We know that we are, are victorious. We are winning because Jesus, you've already secured our ultimate victory through Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you for that, Father. I pray today, God, for those who are here today, perhaps, who have not yet made a commitment to follow you and to surrender their lives to you today. I pray, God, that at this moment, that you'll speak into their heart by your Spirit, Lord, and help every person to realize that, that without Christ, there is no hope, there is no victory. And I just pray, God, you'll draw them to yourself today and help them to surrender their heart to you and say, Lord... I don't understand perhaps all this involved, but I want to follow you. And I want you to be my Savior and my Lord and my Master. I want forgiveness of sins. God, I want the peace that only you can bring into my heart. So today, God, I pray for those folks that make that commitment today, perhaps, and say, God, I open my heart to you. Come into my life. Transform me and change me by your power, and I'll follow you. We ask you to do that today in Jesus' powerful name. God, we're looking to you for victory. Those particularly today, God, who may be going through hard struggles and the enemy is just coming so strongly against them. God, I just pray that their faith will remain to be strong in you and that, God, you will continue to give them that sense of victory that you provided for them. In Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.